Hey, everybody, we're talking to Ruben Gonzalez today. What an amazing guy. He's a four-time Olympian, has some incredible stories of life on the ice at 80 miles an hour. He's a great new friend of mine. You don't want to miss this incredible conversation. Welcome to The Last 10%. Your host, Dallas Burnett, dives into incredible conversations that will inspire you to finish well and finish strong. Listen as guests share their journeys and valuable advice on living in the last 10%. If you are a leader, a coach, a business owner, or someone looking to level up, you are in the right place. Remember, you can give 90% effort and make it a long way, but it's finding out how to unlock the last 10% that makes all the difference in your life, your relationships, and your work. Now, here's Dallas. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the last 10%. I am Dallas Burnett sitting in my 1905 Koch Brothers Barber Chair in Thrive Studios. But more importantly, today we have an amazing guest. He has completed not only four Olympics, but four Olympics in four decades. Climbs mountains, jumps out of planes, runs with the bulls, a man of many talents. Welcome to the show, Ruben. Hey, Dallas, great to be here. Man, you got some energy. I love it. <laughs> well, there's one With thing. Nice tea, all that southern nice tea. That's right. That's right. Well, there's one thing we like doing on the last 10%, and that's having a good time. So we're going to learn, we're going to grow, but we're going to do it and have a good time. First of all, I need to congratulate you because our episode with Warwick Bashford, the uh, professional tennis coach, he wanted to hear you on the last 10%. You're the first guest in our history that has been on the show of someone and we're going to be getting more but you're the first one that's been on the show that's been recognized so i've got to give you like an award or something for that yeah give me a tennis racket or something (laughs) i got a tennis racket story too so oh that's good we'll have to come back to that so let's talk about your story because you you have an amazing story i would love for you to tell your listeners you're a four-time olympian you kind of had this epiphany so tell everybody how do you become a four-time olympian out of houston texas I was born in Argentina. My dad was a chemical engineer with Exxon. We moved to the States when I was six years old. We were up in Queens, New York for a couple of years, then Houston most of my life, an oil brat, Venezuela, back to Houston. And when I was 10 years old, and I always read, read, loved to read adventure books, right? And I was always looking for the adventure. And when I was 10, I see the Olympics on TV for the first time, and I was hooked. I thought, that's my adventure. That's what I want to do. And the funny thing or the strange thing is that what drew me to the athletes, it wasn't their athleticism, it was their spirit. Right away, I realized, wow, this is a group of people that are willing to train for so long, and and some of them actually make it. You got to be so strong to put yourself through that. I I, I want to be like them. I put them up on a pedestal, and I want to be like them. For me, throughout my whole career, it wasn't about the medals. It was just, I want to be one of these guys, okay? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I'm an unlikely Olympian because I'm not a great athlete, okay? I got a lot of heart, but no body. I'm kind of <laughs> like a Rudy. I was the last kid picked for PE. It was terrible. Right. And so I didn't believe it was possible. If you don't believe it's possible, why even try? Mm. And so I talked about it because I was fascinated. But my dad finally got fed up and he said, well, you like to read books. Why don't you read some biographies? You'll study the lives of great people. You'll figure out what works, what doesn't work in life. Or you can figure out how to make that dream come true. Wow. And what I kept seeing, by the way, biographies, I like them right away because they're true life adventures. Yeah. And it's always the same story. It's always somebody had a dream. Mm-hmm. And they had a struggle. 
and then ahead of victory. It's always mm-hmm. dream, struggle, victory. You can't get around that struggle. And what I've been seeing over and over is they're a bunch of hardheads. They're perseverant. They refuse to quit, right? <laughs> they right. get to that, that 10, 10 yard line, like yeah. you like to say, right? They, right. Get, they keep going. That's right. And so as a 12 year old, after reading a few of these biographies, I made a decision to change my life. I, I said to myself, if quitting is the end of your dream and, and tenacity or perseverance, at least you still got a shot, no mm. guarantee, at least you're still in the game. Mm. No brainer. From today on, Ruben doesn't quit anything. I just made one of those quality decisions, right? Yeah. By high school, my nickname was Bulldog. Other kids realized that, hey, this guy's pretty tenacious. <laughs> and when I was 21, I'm watching the Olympics again. This is 11 years later, right? And started reading biographies. That got me into personal development. I started learning principles of success from that. Yeah. And uh, at 21, I'm watching the Olympics, 84 Sarajevo games. And I see Scott Hamilton win the gold medal in figure skating. Yeah. And that guy's about five feet tall, 100 pounds. Oh, yeah. He gave me hope. Everything changed in my head. I thought, if that little guy can win, I can at least play. I'm going to be in the next Olympics. It's a done deal. I just got to find a sport. You don't, you don't even it, have a sport. You're not, you're not, no, you don't no. even have a sport at this I, point. I watched I, that same, I watched that same Olympics. I remember Scott Hamilton. Really? I was a little kid. Absolutely. Oh. But. I, I did not have a sport either. I was probably, I don't know what I was, in 84, I was probably six or something like that. But I do remember him cutting a backflip on the ice, you know? And that was, a, yeah. it was like an amazing memory for me. I just never seen anything like no. that before. So I could no, see I how it was impactful. It, so how do you, you know go? You know what else like, I liked about him? I guess what got me to start watching him, he did this interview. And his thing was, I don't wear sequins, okay? <laughs> I, thought, oh, I like this guy. <laughs> I can relate awesome. to this guy. That's so good. So, and he, so he gave me hope. And I thought, I'm ready. I played soccer all my life. Little Argentine boys. We think we're going to play World Cup soccer, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty good with a soccer ball, but I'm a slowpoke. The other guy gets to the ball first all the time. I'm still on the bench. And so I went to the library, and now I got a goal, right? And it's a goal with a deadline. In four years, I'm either in or I'm not in. So that gives you urgency, right? There's no time to waste. I got this big book about the Olympics, looked at the summer sports, took me five minutes to realize, man, you got to be Superman to do any of these yeah. things. No way. And then I'm looking at the winter sports and the analytical side of my brain woke up and I thought, hey, I'm about to put together a plan for the next four years. Probably makes sense to base the plan on my strengths, right? Mm. My strength, mm. not athleticism. My strength's perseverance. I'm bulldog, right? Mm. And so I thought, I need to find a sport that's so tough, a sport that's only broken bones in it. There'd be a lot of quitters, right? And I just won't quit. I'll write the attrition rate all the way to the top. I love that. That is so good. Find something yeah. with broken bones and write the attrition rate. Only chance. And so it was going to be ski jump, bobsled, or luge. I figured those look oh. like a lot of, right? I live in Houston. Forget it. I never skied before. That would have been suicide. That one's out. Bobsled. Yeah. Who are you going to buy three other nuts in Houston wanted to do the bobsled? And you got to go Jamaica oh, for that. That's right. And so lose you can do by yourself. I'd never seen it on TV. If I had, I know I wouldn't have done it. I just had a little picture of it on a luge. I thought that looked pretty tough. That's the one for me. I didn't even know where the track was. Oh, I wrote Sports God. Illustrated a letter. I asked them, where do you go learn how to lose? They actually wrote back and they sent me a picture of it on a luge. And I put it yeah. on a frame, stuck it right in front of my bedroom. It's, I'm looking at it right now. I'm oh, sitting in my, my office goodness. now. Oh. They're under the Olympic rings. That's my picture, okay? The guy oh. said. <laughs> All right. So I wake up in the morning. First person I see is the luge man, right? Yeah. So he reminded me, hey, I got, I'm got. i going for the Olympics. Got to eat right. Got to work out. Got to read good books, right? Hang around with winners, right? Mental toughness. Mm-hmm. Last person I saw at night, 
Luge man. So what do you think I dreamt about at night? <laughs> Luge. Oh, yeah. See, that was my goal setting system. Just that kept the goal in front of me so, all the so time. So tell me this though, like you're in Houston, Texas. You write Sports Illustrated. You decide you've just made this like literal commitment to go from I've never seen the Luge to this is what I'm doing for the next four years. Did you at that time say I'm going to try it, or did you say I'm I'm in no, 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 it? No. Like I'm going. I'm no, no, I'm full no. tilt. I'm going to win. No, I never you know. No, that T word, that's a bad word. Bad. I'm not even going to say it. But, <laughs> and it's levels of commitment. Okay? Yeah. It's levels of commitment. All right. Think about when you were, when you moved out of your folks' house, right? And you got your first apartment. You start calling your buddies to help you move, right? And you're going to have pizza and beer afterwards, right? Right, right. Now, the one, I guarantee you, the ones that said, I'm going to try to be there, they didn't show up because that's a really <laughs> low level of commitment. All right. I'm going to do my best. That's almost as bad as uh, I'm going to try, right? And I'm going to do my best. There's a way, a big door on the back end, which says if anything turns out to be inconvenient, I'm not going to do it, right? And I'll be there, all right? Or it's a done deal. It's a done deal means I'm going to lose faith and don't show up. And so it was gonna be, it's also always going to be a done deal for me. And so I call Lake Placid and I said, I'm an athlete here in Houston. I want to learn how to lose. So I'm in the Olympic in four years. <laughs> Will you help me? And the guy goes, how old are you? And I said, 21. And he started laughing. Forget it, man. You're too old. We started off for eight years old. By oh now, you have 10 years experience. Goodness. There's no way. No way. I, mean, I didn't know what to do. I thought they were going to welcome me with open arms to hear this guy laughing in my dream. Right? Yeah. Only thing I knew was hanging up. That's not an option. That would have been the end of everything. Sure. So I just kept talking to him, talking to him. And I happened to tell him I was born in Argentina. And he gets all excited all of a sudden. He goes, Argentina? If you'll go for Argentina, we'll train you. I said, why? A minute ago, you're not going to train me at all. It was wrong with Argentina. Right. <laughs> and he goes, the sport of luge is this close from getting kicked out of the Olympics because we're not global enough, okay? It's the U.S., Canada, and a few European countries. We're recruiting because there's always other sports trying to take our place. Oh, my goodness. If you don't go for Argentina... You'll travel with us. You'll come under our umbrella. You'll train. We'll even lend you a sled the first year. Eventually, you got to get your own stuff. We're going to have to cram 10 years of lose training into just two years, okay? You can get hurt a lot. But we got to do that because the last two years, you got to race in the international against the best in the World Cup circuit because you're getting points, just like NASCAR, right? You're getting points for all your races. And right before the Olympics, they tally up the last two seasons. Top 50, get to go. 51, watch it on TV. So you go for Argentina. I said, man, I'll go for Pakistan. I don't care. <laughs> What's amazing, though, it's is still... that you just kind of put it out there. And, you know, I think so many people, when they go for something, they pick up the phone and maybe they, they're like, yeah, I'm in. They pick up the phone. It's like you said, I can't hang up because then it, the dream dies. And I think so many people just go, oh, you're not taking anything. Oh, OK. And they hang up. And I think that yeah. you're like you said, it's tenacity. It's that persistence. You're like, all right. So the first goal is picking up the phone. Second goal, he says, no, okay, obstacles the way. Let me see. I got to get him talking, you know? And through that conversation, he goes from, you literally moved this guy from laughing at you to, to assisting you and giving you your own sled. <laughs> That's insane. Uh, crazy, yeah. But you, like you said, when you put yourself out there, and before I hung up, and reel me back to, to, to what we are saying, okay, about not hanging up. Yeah. Because I am so AD, I'll go on tangents <laughs> off my tangent, all right? I, um, before I hang up, he said, before you come to Lake Placid, you need to know two things. Number one, you want to do it at your age? You want to do it in just 40 years? It's brutal. Nine out of 10 people quit. 
When he said that, I started smiling. I thought, this works right into my plan. It's awesome. <laughs> What's the second thing? He goes, expect to break some bones. And I said, great. And he got real quiet and goes back. What's wrong with you, man? I thought you were going to break some bones. Are you nuts or something? I told him, look, I hope it's 10 times harder what you're telling me. I hope it's 100 times harder. Because the harder it is, easier it is for me. Because I'm not a quitter. I'm a mm. bulldog, okay? Mm. I was praying that it would be so hard that some of these East Germans would quit, okay? Because they win all the time. But I didn't pray hard enough. They show up, they rage, <laughs> pick up their medal, literally and smile. Where am I going to put this one? Oh, That's man. But here's what I, when you said about on, on the phone, you got to make a call and everything. Here's something really important, really. This guy, they could have hired him yesterday, okay? Mm -hmm. Think about this. They hired him yesterday. They're taking him around through uh, orientation. They take him to the track and he and says, see, those are the... Those, see those little kids, eight-year-olds, nine, ten-year-olds, that's how we get them started, right? And uh, so he saw it. And this is where we get you started. You're going to be answering phones here for some months. Now, this guy, he's confidently ignorant, right? He yeah. doesn't know, but yeah. he thinks he knows because he just heard it. And he saw it with his own eyes. Yeah. He's confident. And there's a lot of confidently ignorant people out there. Mm. And, but he's a new hire. He mm. doesn't have any decision-making power, okay? Mm. He only has the power to say no. He doesn't have the power to say yes, mm. okay? So that's why you always go to the top. I was in sales. You go to the top, right? To I'm a professional speaker. I speak. At, I do lots of sales kickoffs all over the world. I do more sales kickoffs than anything else. I call the VP of sales. That's who I'm at. Want yeah. to talk to, right? Because yeah. that guy's got unlimited budget, and he's got power to say yes. Everybody else just has power to say no. That's right. And so remember that. <laughs> mm, I love that. That's a that's a great word for the listeners out there. We're looking. If you you know if you want to live in the last ten percent. And, and, and be able to grind it, that the work is fine, but that attitude and the mindset that you have, sometimes no one lives on an island. We all need, we all need people. We have to do the work, but we need people that come beside us to add to that dream, you know? And sometimes it's like, we got to get to the person that can open the door because there's a lot of people that can close it, but it's not this, it's like you said, there's a lot of people that have the power to say no, but if you're getting those no's, it's not like you get the first no and hang up and be done. It's like, all right, let's what, let's get some more so I can get to the yes. And I think that's a, I think it's a powerful, yeah, I think that's a totally powerful idea. I, I love that. So essentially you move forward and you say, okay, I've gotten this guy. I'm in Houston, but he's opened the door. I can now go and they're going to hook me up if I do these things with Argentina, I can now go compete. So what happens next? Like, what's the transition? So you said, uh, we got a camp coming up in a couple of weeks and it's a springtime, okay? It's a couple of months after I saw Scott Hamilton, I'm already heading to Lake Classic, okay? Because <laughs> no time. That's insane. That's incredible. And, well, you got, yeah, but you got. You got to do it. You yeah. only have four years. You got to go. You got to go. Otherwise, you're going for the Olympics eight years from now. Mm. And if you think, you got, you, here's another thing. One of my coaches, used to say, Ruben, you know what? It's so good that you took action when you were excited because most people, they start overthinking it and, and the excitement goes down and they quit even before they begin. Mm. And so you got to take action when you get excited. You yeah. jump and the net will appear. And if you fall on your face, at least now you don't jump there. Jump somewhere else. You'll always <laughs> learn from something. You're further ahead. You screwed up. That's but if you didn't do anything, you're still in the same place. That's right. And so uh, I go up there, and it's a springtime. We're going from the half-mile point of the old bobsled track. It's, there's no ice on the track. We're going on wheel sleds, 50, 55 miles an hour. All we're wearing is tennis shoes, shorts, and a T-shirt. <laughs> and a helmet, but that's just for decoration, make the lawyers happy. It doesn't help the crashing. So they put me in this class with 15 beginners and we're going and we're training with the U.S. junior national team. Okay. All these 15 year old, 11 year olds. And I'm 
I'll call this one there. But it's funny. We get there. We take our first run. And I still remember my first run. I just remember sitting on that slant thinking, oh, my gosh. Here we go. Here we go. Yeah, we're beginning. And finish my run. We get to the bottom. And the U.S. team, the junior national team, they hop on a truck. They take them back to the top of the hill. Us, they hand us the sled. You got to walk up. And right there, a couple of guys quit because it was beneath them to have to walk up. What? Right? You're sitting. Yeah. People quit because they didn't want to walk up the hill? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Some of them quit because they had a bruise. Oh, let me backtrack. That guy told, when I hung up the phone, right? When I'm talking to the guy from Lake Placid, told me you're going to break some bones. That's the reality hit. I thought, whoa, this is going to be harder than I thought. He didn't say I might break some bones. He said, you will break some bones, right? So I thought, okay, so how am I going to handle it when I break a bone? So you prepare for the worst, hope for the best. But sure. you got to be prepared for the worst. So I thought, well, broken bones before. <laughs> you yeah. wear a cast for six weeks, take off the cast, it's healed up and stronger than before. So when you really think about it, just a uh, temporary inconvenience, right? Mm. And so I reframed it in my mind. And so I knew how I was going to handle it. So I'll go over there and these guys are quitting because they got a little bruise, right? And I'll never forget, I'm walking up, I'm floating up that track after my first run. And there's a few tourists watching us train. And there was this old man, old white hair. And he, he just, I guess he just seen me zip by. And as I walked past him, I locked eyes on him, right? Because I'm so pumped up after my first run. I said, I'm going to be in the Olympics in four years. He looks at me, pauses, he goes, son, I think you're going to make it. I can see the passion in your eyes. So can people Man. see the passion in your eyes when you tell them about your goals and your dreams? Because that's how they know that you believe. Oh, right? I love that. Everybody has this little page, right, in their mind. And if somebody believes or they're just blowing smoke. And so don't be afraid to get excited, to show your excitement. Because that sets you apart. That right. makes you real. Absolutely. I'll try to be Mr. Cool. Yeah, cool. man, that's so good. But you know, that is when you're committed, when you're full in, you know, you talked earlier about levels of commitment and that I'll try or, you know, I'll do my best and how that just doesn't work. You know, when you're, when you're fully committed and you're like, I'm doing this, it was like, you said it, you can't help but say it. Like I'm going to be in the Olympics in four years and, and it's palpable people. And not only that, if you want to rally, and I think this is something, if you own a business or if you lead a team, it is so infectious when you truly believe something. We talk about mission, vision, values, purpose, and all these things. Start with the why. And if, if it's just something that you say because it's a poster on the wall, then people know that. They can feel it or they lack that, you know. But if you come in and you own it and you are it, like you are that, you ex just exude that, whatever that is, whether it's a vision or a mission or value, Man, it, people want to be a part of something like that. They want to follow that. They want to believe too. They're looking for you if you're leading that team to just it, just share some of that, you know, and it's infectious. So I think like, I think that's so, I love how you said, man, I can, I mean, you know, you were so passionate that man said I could see it in your eyes. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. My first job in high school was Chick-fil-A. All right. Wow. I worked in Chick-fil-A number 85, all right? <laughs> People didn't even know what a Chick-fil-A was. They walk up, they say, oh, let me get a chick a flake or yeah. a Chick-fil-A. They call it like that. And so we're training people on what a chicken sandwich is, right? Because wow. nobody knew. Wow. We're on the second floor on the corner of this low, small mall in Houston. Zero traffic. And But our manager, he was Steve. Steve Mason was awesome. He just made it fun. He figured, well, first we're going to get the managers of all the stores, and then the managers are going to bring in the employees, and then they're going to bring everybody else. And so we'd go get all the managers a free sandwich or a quarter of a free sandwich. And then he had to sing songs in the front of the store. We'd do all these crazy <laughs> things. And 
it was so much fun. For three years, we had almost zero turnover. Okay. Wow. And this is 45 years ago or 40 years ago. And uh, we still keep in touch. I was just emailing Steve yesterday, right? Wow. He still is one of my friends. And after three years, Chick-fil-A, we were always in the top 10, even though we had a lousy location, nobody knew what we were doing. We were always in the top 10 in sales. And Atlanta, right, where they're based, they figured out this guy's too good to be running a store. They brought him in, made him VP of training, right? What? And then they replaced him with this other guy who was really lame. And within six months, we all quit because it wasn't fun anymore. It wasn't challenging. Oh. And so seeing Steve as the leader, this goes to what you were saying, as a leader, you have the opportunity to create an atmosphere, create a culture, right? Uh, yeah. And things are going to be done that way, but mm. it's up to you because it's not going to happen by itself. Not going to happen. No, that's a great, I love that. I love that story. So now you're going up the hill. You've met the old man who has is, is forecasted your destiny and uh, you're, <laughs> you're headed back up. You've already left some quitters. So you've already moved above some quitters at the bottom of the hill. And you finished your first run. So how does that training process go? And how does that, how does that kind of form, form you? And you've got four years of it, or at least two years of it before you start competing. Did you see this oh, yeah. massive jump or, or did you, you know, was it a grind at the bottom for a while before well, you got on, the hang of it? On wheels, it's more dangerous on wheel because if you crash and you hit that concrete, even though it's not as fast, you're the straight to the hospital. I call it the weeding out process in the sport of loot. But you're learning the basics of steering and you got a lot of traction. So the sled pretty much goes where you want it to go. But then uh, that was in the spring. And then as soon as the first cold front hit Houston, that was taught to, you know, head to the loose track around October, around Halloween time. That's when they opened up and I went. That was the first time on ice, right? Most so, tracks have. So let me get this straight. You're practicing in the summer on concrete and it's like a concrete tube that you're going down on like something yeah. like roller yeah, skates on, under your back. I mean, it's just like, yeah, it's oh. a loose track with no ice. Oh so it's, gosh. it's melted. Yeah. So you're going fast. Oh Anyways, and we're not wearing leathers like you street luge guys. No, we're yeah. nothing. Anyways, then we go in the winter and on ice, it's ridiculous. I mean, that sled is just all over the place. It's exactly the difference between walking and skating, exactly the same thing. And so they put you usually on curve. Let's say you, you curve 12, for example, you're only going 20, 30 miles an hour and, and you crash, 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 right? And then you finally figure it out. Your brain figures it out, right? Riding a bike after a while, you, it just figures it out. Cool. So coach you up a couple of curves. Now you're going 35. Gosh, too fast. No time to think. Crash, 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 crash. You know, figure it out. Move up. You literally crash your way to the top. That's how you learn. And then you go to different tracks and you learn different things and different tracks and how to put them together. And it, it's the first two years, I was crashing four out of five times. All right. Oh. I mean, that hurt. First two years were brutal. I broke my foot twice, my knee, my elbow, my hand, my thumb, a couple ribs. My neck's a chiropractor dream. You're pulling six G's on some of those curves. Your head's hanging off the back. And I didn't know I'd take care of my neck or anything back then. So I do everything wrong. And so, but I kept coming back and then start competing internationally. And it, that was even worse. Okay. The first two years, physical challenge, but now the next two years, imagine Dallas, you just got your driver's permit. You're 16 years old. You still can't make that, that right turn without the back wheel hitting the curve. That's that level driver you are. Okay. That's mm. about the level loser I was at that point. After two years, I'm barely getting up, getting down from the top. And now they put you in this room. And on the other side of that wall is the Indianapolis 500 Speedway. And you start looking around the room and say, wait a minute, that's AJ Foyt. Hey, wait, that's Al Luxor. That's Mario Andretti. What am I doing here? I don't belong here. Yeah. I just learned, I just got my driver's room. 
<laughs> imposter syndrome to the max. Oh, That's yeah. exactly how I felt. I'm surrounded by Olympic champions who have been sliding for 15, 20 years. And I would go to, the, I couldn't even look them in the eyes. I would go to the darkest corner and that's of the start house. And that's where I would get ready. And I just put on the blinders. I just got to keep doing it. one more run. I got to get these world cup points. I got to keep doing it. Keep... Meanwhile, the Germans, they're, they won't even give me the time of day. Okay. I might be walking down the track and I see a bunch of Germans walk, working on a sled and say, Hey Hans, how you doing? Nothing. I'm invisible. Wow. Yeah. That even, that confirmed that I didn't belong. Yeah. I felt like an but I just kept going. I just kept going. And uh, I make the Calgary Olympics. Okay. Squeaked into the first one. 1988 Calgary Winter Olympics. So All that right? means that you're in, the, you said earlier that you were, that was the, you would compete in, in the, in the world. And then they would take the top 50 and number 51 on watches it. So you literally had moved up in, I guess that's 88. You, in four years, you did it. You got to the yeah, top 50 yeah, yeah. in the world. Yeah. And now uh, oh. the way the numbers actually work is each country can send a maximum of three men, three women, two doubles teams. Okay. So you got three Germans, three Austrians, three Italians, three Americans, three, and it goes up. You got a bunch of threes of the big, the strong nations, right? Yeah. Then you got a few countries that got the twos, right? They only got two that could qualify. And then you got about 10 that are ones, one per country that are scratching and clawing to try to be in that. And so it wasn't, so I made Cal. Awesome. Incredible. But it wasn't until two years later, two years later, I'm walking down the track and one of the Germans, he goes, Gonzalez, Speedy Gonzalez, hey, how are you? <laughs> and I got pissed. Right? <laughs> I, 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 I said, what's up with you guys? I've been nice to you guys for four years now. And now I'm Speedy Gonzalez. Uh -huh. And he goes, come, we must talk to you. And they gave me this, the talk, right? The whole team, all the athletes, the coaches. They just sit all around me and I said, look, we have four tracks in a country the size of Texas. All right. Back then, Salt Lake City. Back when I got started, Lake Placid was the only track in North America. You only build them when there's an Olympics, right? Now, mm -hmm. and so we have four. We have all these luge clubs. And we, some of us started when we were five years old. And after a few years, we were the best in our town. And then we were the best in our region. Then we made the national team, okay? Ten men, ten women get to be on the national team. Then we made the Olympic team, three and three. But there's so many great losers in our country behind, coming in behind us. We'll be lucky to do too. But you know what we're going to do afterwards? We're going to coach because we respect the sport and we want to continue this legacy of being the best. They've won 80% of the races in the last oh, 50 years. Man, okay. You incredible. think the Patriots have a dynasty? They got nothing. Mm. And they said, and we are sick and tired of seeing people from other countries. They come, they do one Olympics, they, then they disappear. You know what we call them? I said, no, what? Olympic tourists, always with a little camera, right? Oh. But this is two years after your first Olympics. Obviously, you're trying to make the Albertville Olympics in 1992, France, Albertville, France. Whether you make it or not doesn't matter to us. Only thing that matters to us is you're respecting the sport. So you've earned our respect. Wow. That sound means it's time to take a break and hear a word from our sponsor. If you lead an organization or a team, one of the biggest challenges you face is developing your people. Think Move Thrive is here to help you on your journey. We've developed a coaching system that integrates into your team or organization to consistently develop your employees, build trust, gain valuable feedback, and increase accountability. And leadership retreats and summits are great. We even build those custom for our clients, but they're only part of the solution because they lack consistency. 
Our one-on-one coaching app is the missing piece in your employee development program. We help new leaders get to know their teams. We help technical managers be more relational. And we help ensure that your relational rock stars stay organized. We developed the system for a client, and it was so successful. We created the app to help more organizations develop their people, build trust, engagement, and you guessed it, performance. For more information, go to thinkmovethrive.com to learn more about the one-on-one coaching system and start developing your team today. Back to the show. Did that shift? That's called commitment. Yeah, did that shift your perspective? Oh, you got goosebumps? got them everywhere now. That's that's my gold medal, man. Earning those guys. Well, because when you started, you said. running last night. Yeah, you you started, you said, I want to be one of these people. Like, I want to be one of the guys. And that's like like the greatest trophy ever. Those people come and say, hey, just want to let you know, you're you're one of us. Ah, that's so good. So good. Yeah, I never even thought of it that way, but it's absolutely and that's probably why I got all those goosebumps every time I tell a story. It's that's my medal. Yeah. Mm. And even making it to the Olympics was kissing your sister a little bit because mm. I made it, but I still wasn't in. And it wasn't until a few years later. And so I met, then I made Albertville and then I quit. I missed seven Christmases in a row. I was just, I just want to do something different. I was pretty burned out at that point. Mm. And I quit for six years or so. And then my coach, I had this big Austrian coach. It's like having, Michael Jordan teaching you how to do hoops, right? And that kind of thing. And super high standards. It hurts him to smile because he's never used those muscles before. <laughs> he's like a drill sergeant. And he called me out of the blue, right? Five years before the Salt Lake City Olympics. He goes, Ruben, you must come back. Luz needs Argentina. I said, forget it, coach. I got a family now. I'm done with the Olympic thing. Thanks for no thing. Hang up on him. I felt so good to hang up on him. Uh, but he's a winner. He won't take no for an answer, right? He calls back. He goes, U.S. Olympic spirit, Salt Lake City, you'd be the, be the best. You regret it if you don't go. Wow. Thanks, but no thanks. But that time it hurt, so I won't regret anything. I don't have any tattoos, but if I had one, it wouldn't be the Olympic rings. It would be no regrets. I don't want to have any regrets. Yeah. And so yeah. then he calls back. He goes, I got a deal for you. Totally lost his accent. He was saving it for this moment. <laughs> he goes, I got a deal for you. You get yourself to Calgary. I got a camp coming up in Calgary, two-week camp. I'll take care of room, board, track fees. Every time we take a run, it's 50 bucks, okay? 40, 50 bucks. It's expensive. Oh take about gosh. six runs a day. And so this guy, not only the meanest guy I know, he's also the cheapest guy I know. He made me all these years he knew me, never even bought me a beer. I'm not going to be an offering and not buy it. So I'm a beer. And so I ain't like beer, but yeah. just the thought of a principle or thing. Love and it. so Kiri's offered me all these thousands of dollars of free training. I thought, man, they must really need Argentina, right? Because it's a pendulum, right? Some years they got too many countries. And they won't give me the time of day. Then they need Argentina. And so I told him, okay, I'll go on one condition. I got a brother. He seen me to go to two Olympics. And I seen the look in his eyes. If that deal goes for him too, hey, we got five years. Maybe he can learn the sport. Maybe he can crack to the top 50. Maybe he can make it to the Olympics. How old is he? He's 30 years old. 30 years old, you're crazy. Oh, you got to see this guy coach, an incredible athlete. He's not. He's an architect, okay? I mean, he's really good with Lego, but, you know, but I knew he was be tough. That's why I knew he could do it. He goes, all right, bring him along. Fine. Hangs up on me, right? So order has been you know, brought back because now he's hanging up on me. I go to Marcelo, my, my younger brother, and he goes, look, worst case scenario, you got a free two-week vacation. He goes, yeah, I could die on this vacation of yours, right? He goes, yeah, you could. But 
best case scenario, you could be an Olympian. Okay. You could be the Olympic architect. Now they start smiling. Hey, that's got a nice ring to it. The Olympic architect. And he was in, right? He goes, he catches the dream. He breaks a few bones, right? And when he caught the dream, he got committed. Okay. He started eating right. He got ripped. Okay. He went from a overweight architect. He got ripped. All right. <laughs> he broke a few bones because everybody does. He kept coming back because we're all bulldogs. No chihuahuas in our house. All right. Yeah, that's right. And so with one race to go, I was already in. I had enough World Cup points. I'm in. And he didn't look like he had it. I mean, he, it wasn't going to happen. Mm-hmm. And on the last race, he pulled one out of the bag. It's all these World Cup points, bumps him up to 49th in the world. He made it. Okay. Oh, my goodness. You Isn't made it crazy? with your brother. I mean, yeah, we made Olympic history. First time two brothers compete against each other in a men's lose. For the oh. record, I won. But... <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. I mean, so think about it, guys. You're listening to this. If a 30-year-old out-of-shape architect can make it to the Olympics and the lose, imagine what you can do. Oh. All right? Think about, let, I, I hope that you go awake tonight. I hope you're cursing me tonight, okay? Because you can't sleep <laughs> you're thinking about if, it. If you can't <laughs> sleep tonight, you can totally blame Ruben. He'll sleep like a baby knowing you can't sleep. If you catch the dream and say, look, I didn't know that this was possible, but if you believed at that level and if you commit at that level, unbe- unbelievable things can happen. It, that is an unbelievable story. I, I love that. I love that. So you, you and your brother compete. The, uh, he turns yep. into an architect Olympian, and you're competing yep. another in, a, in another decade yeah, at so this that, point. Salt Lake. So, Salt and Lake. that's where that little kid this little kid in my neighborhood right before the Salt Lake City Olympics, 2002, almost 21 years ago. I was a copier salesman in downtown Houston at that point. And I've had a lot of jobs, okay? I'm highly unemployable. I'm very uh, independent. <laughs> so don't be calling me for job offers, but if you need to inspire, motivate your people, I'm your guy. Yeah. But anyways, this kid, a little fifth grader, goes, hey, really, when you get back from the Olympics, will you be my show and tell project in school? And I said, sure, why not? And I pictured show and tell day. Everybody's got to show something off. So it's probably five minutes per kid, at least five minutes for me. I took the sled, the helmet, the Olympic torch. No prisoners, right? I'm going to finally get my Olympic medal, even if it's eating a bunch of... I'm competitive, okay? Yeah. And so I go, and the principal takes me to this room. There's 200 kids sitting. And he says, you got 45 minutes. They turned it into an assembly, but they didn't tell me. Oh. And I, man, that door looked so inviting. I almost just ran out. <laughs> and I said a little prayer. I really did. God, what do I do now? And what I felt I needed to do is just tell them your story. Give us some pointers. I think make their drink them. And that's where it started. And afterwards, the principal went nuts. You're going to you need to do this for a living. Uh, I said, what? You get paid for showing tip? And he goes, no, man. It's speaking profession. Don't you know anything? And he was so in my face that I thought about it. And I thought, you know what? That was a lot of fun. Maybe I can inspire some people to go for their dream. That sure beats knocking on doors in downtown Houston trying to sell a copy. And three days later, I'll quit my job. I figured if I can sell a copier, I'm still a Reuben too. And I just started calling all the schools, massive action, calling, following up, faxes. And that's where it all started. And now it's, I've spoken for a hundred Fortune 500 companies all over the world. It can't change my life. Wow. So you don't know. You have no clue what could possibly lay in front of you. I'm a shy guy. Nobody believes me when I say that, but my, I'm an introvert. You get me talking about personal development or Olympics, it's like Clark Kent turns into Superman, but I'm an introvert. I'd rather be holding behind a book. And, but I'm a key, I'm a keynote speaker. That's All right. Amazing. Then sometimes 5,000 people, I shared the stage with Zig Ziglar 25 oh. times over the years, wow. big arenas. Oh, how about and that? I made C's in English. Okay. Heck, my parents celebrated them abroad seeing anything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
and I've written six books. They've been translated to 10 languages and they've sold over 300,000 copies. Okay. Wow. I'm not an Amazon bestseller. I'm a real bestseller. Okay. <laughs> but I can barely spread out. All right. Think uh, about that. I hope yeah. this keeps you up all night. <laughs> I'm a lousy athlete. Okay. It's not false modesty. I'm a slowpoke. I got hard. Okay. I'm just like Rudy. In fact, about 10 days, I'm speaking a big real estate event in Connecticut. Rudy Rudiger and me, we're going to probably oh. take those guys' excuses away. Right. We, have you ever spoken I'm, with him? Rudy have you ever showed? Have you ever, yeah. Have you ever showed? Have you ever shared the stage with him before? Have you ever met him? Yeah, we met a couple times. I haven't seen him in about ten years, so it'd be fun catching How about up. That that's yeah, but I, tell me so, this: I would love to know, like, where were your parents at, and what were they thinking? Your dad gave you some great advice early on when he says go read some biographies. You took that advice, and and it really helped catapult and solidify your mindset. You come back at 21, you say, hey, mom, dad, I just want to let you know. <laughs> I can only imagine, hey, yo, I'm just going to let y'all know I'm going to be in the Olympics in four years. I'm going to do the luge. What is their, like, how did they respond to that? That's a great question. On the one hand, I was blessed that my parents always supported me. No matter what harebrained idea I had, my dad would always try to find the source of knowledge to, to help me out, right? It was never who you think you are. The stuff that you see in Rudy's movie, it wasn't like that at all. It was the opposite, okay? You can do it, you can do it, you can do it. You work hard enough, you can do it. But you got to follow those success principles. My dad also knew he was a, I was such a hard head that I probably wouldn't listen to anything he told me directly. That's why he just led me to the trough of knowledge, the there books, and let them work their magic. Yeah. And my mom, typical mom, they, she didn't, you know, she was afraid Rudy was going to get hurt or baby's going to get hurt. Yeah. She didn't want me to do it. They never saw me lose live. They would wait till I brought the VCR tape afterwards because they're afraid to see their baby like, get hurt. They couldn't watch you do it live. They just had to no, record it. Couldn't. Oh, no. that's amazing. Yeah. I mean, I understand. Yeah. I mean, like, see that sign? This is a shameless plug. No, yeah. TheShortcutBook.com. So I just did my TheShortcutBook.com. Okay, we'll turn it back. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I just did my first in March. It's last year, right? We haven't gotten to March yet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> March of last year, I did my first TED Talk. It's called The Power of Following the Leader, right? Because I'm a big believer that in success, it, it's very simple, okay? It's not easy. It's, I was going to take everything you got, but if it's in your heart, I believe that you got what it takes. You just got to dig deep, okay? Mm -hmm. and I did this. You, you, whatever you want to do, just find somebody that's done it. Find somebody that's done it and call them up and ask them for advice. Ask them. And I always get pushed back. Oh, but I don't want to impose. Those people are so busy. You know what? As long as your intention is, I'm going to do whatever they say right away. I'm going to take massive action. I'll make them look good because I won't succeed. Then you owe it to them to call them. Okay. Because see, everybody thinks that success is the gold medal, but it's not. Success is the silver medal. The gold medal is called significance. That means you help somebody else succeed. That makes you feel good inside. That feel that significance fills that little hole in your heart. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so they got success. They're looking for significance. Mm -hmm. So if you make your dream come true because they showed you how, you get the silver medal, they get the gold, and you just might make a best friend. See? Mm -hmm. And so that that talk that I did, the power of following the leader, I got man, it's already gotten over a million views. And I was getting so many nice things, people emails and stuff like that. I thought, man, maybe there's an idea who's time had come, right? Maybe there's a lot of hard heads like me because I resisted my coach. See, that 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 bulldog tenacity that I had that helped me get through that, those rough years at the beginning also made me resist my coach's advice. I learned everything the hard, the hard way. In fact, one of my first coaches says, Ruben, 
you weren't bulldog. You were half bulldog and half mule. If you'd have been, <laughs> you'd have been so hard headed. You learned everything hard. You shouldn't have gotten hurt as much as you did. Oh. And, but thank God that you were such a champ that you just kept coming back. But it didn't have to be that hard. And so I wrote this book called The Shortcut, right? And the shortcut to success is find a leader, follow a leader, and then you can be the leader, right? Because mm. you learned it, you applied it, now you're the leader. Then what? Then find another leader, higher and higher. And you keep, you do that for the rest of your life. And this book is just, everybody loves it, right? Mm. Now, if you're an old guy like me and you like paper books, just go to Amazon or you go to the shortcutbook.com, you can buy it there, 20 bucks. Yeah. If you're one of those Kindle guys, I got it for a dollar right now, Kindle. Wow. Okay. So it doesn't get any better than that. That's and, awesome. We will yeah, put so the link. We'll put the link of the shortcut book in the in the show notes. So you guys check out the shortcutbook.com. And if you like it on yeah. Kindle, he's got a deal. So we'll, we'll add those, we'll add those links to the show notes to this. That's awesome. And yeah. I love, I yeah. love and what you what the premise of the book. And and I would love to dive in just real quickly to a couple things that, that relate to that idea because I love how you talk about following the leader to be yeah. the leader. And there there's a certain level of humility that comes with that and a certain level yeah. of humility that it takes to be coached, you know what I mean, to allow that process to take place. Talk about that, your perspective on your coach and what how that kind of interaction was with your coach and what you had to do to kind of come under him. You know, what does it take to follow a leader, in your opinion, and, and to do that well? You said it, humility, right? Trust. You have to let go. You have to let go. And letting go is scary, right? Because everybody wants to be in control. And being out of control is scary. Mm. But that's, you can only improve if you're out of control. Hey, mm. if you're doing something that's pushing you outside of that, you know, of the limits. Mm. And so you have to let go and trust. And for the first three Olympics, I would resist. And on my fourth Olympics, they changed the rules. It's going to be top 40 now, not top 50. All right. And I was always around top 45. When they did that, I thought this is going to be tough. I'm older than anybody. Back in Salt Lake, I was 39. Back then, everybody thought I was a coach. They look at me and say, so what are you coaching? No, I'm an athlete. And I get that. They would look at me up and down. He goes, no, come on. What are you coaching? Oh. <laughs> like a Rodney Dangerfield, the Olympic, man. <laughs> so in, in, in Vancouver, I was 47, okay? Now, by then, all the other coaches are cheering for me. They're going, do it for the old guys. <laughs> but I realized, number one, I'm the oldest. Number two, I'm going to have to be better than I've ever been before. I got my back to the wall and that's what it took for me to say, okay, I, I was always good at seeking out the mentor, but I wasn't good at following, right? Following their advice right away. And so I would always wait and then do it the hard way. And I just said, I'm just going to let go. I'm going to do it. And I started improving faster than I ever had before. Okay. Wow. And then at 55, I was sliding better than ever. Next week, I got a brand new sled. Okay. Brand new German sled. Next week, Tuesday, I'm driving to Park City. I'm going to test drive the old sled and the new sled and the old body and see how And coach said, look, it's going to be, it's going to feel different. Okay. than your old sled. Okay. This is, this is souped up. Okay. So we want you going from junior start 40, 50 miles an hour. Don't worry. Don't your goal is not to get to men's start because if you rush it, you're just going to pick up a bunch of bad habits and it will work three times as hard to try to break them. Your goal is to feel. Okay. And to feel what that sled is doing and try different things and try going early into a curve on purpose or try going a little bit late and see what it does and develop the feel so you can, you can ride that bull, right? Mm. And then on the last day, I'll go to Lady Start and it's 75 miles an hour, wow. right? And then I'm coming back in, in February and doing some more. And if that goes well, then next year, I'll be going to several tracks 
And then if that goes well, start competing again, right? The last two years are the ones that count. You get more training, run, you get more runs per week. They're just training and there's no pressure. You just focus on learning. And the last two years, and who knows, maybe, maybe Milan in 2026, I'll only be 63. You're, be so only. you're saying, you're saying that you're doing that now. You're taking that out. You're not, I thought in, I would thought you were talking about no, 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 your I'm last sorry, Olympics. I jumped on you. You're actually no. saying that you're actually going into training right now to come to, to see if you can make the yeah. next Olympics. Yeah. That's mentally, I'm tougher than ever. Believable. That's mentally, I'm tougher than ever. Okay. And so here's my mentors used to tell me years ago. They ask successful people ask different questions than, than average people, okay? And they do different things. They read different books and they actually invest more in their books and on, on how big their big screen TV is, all, little things like that. And, yeah. and they don't watch the news, okay? Because no. the news, let me tell you guys, the oh. news is so negative, it'll uh, steal your dreams. 100%. And media makes money two ways. Number one, make you mad. Number two, make you scared. That's mm. good for ratings, but it's bad for business. Mm. All right. I agree so, with that. Yeah. hundred yeah. percent. So they would always ask questions like, why not now? Why not me? Why not? Not now. Why not? Ask yourself those questions. Why not me? Why can't I compete in five Olympics in five different decades? Why can't I become the oldest person to ever compete in the Winter Olympics ever? Why not? Why, Why can't I get my, the cover on AARP's magazine? <laughs> <laughs> I can't I get sparkly pen diapers and Jarrett and Timex because it keeps ticking and keeps on ticking. Why not? So, those, but those questions, I'm just goofing around now, but those questions, they get your mind thinking about possibilities. Yeah. They open up your mind. Yeah, that's a good thing. Man, I'm supercharged. I'm supercharged hearing you talk about it, man. We are going to be cheering for you and, and cheering for your training. And I have no doubt, I have no doubt that that is absolutely achievable, especially with your mindset. hundred percent. No doubt. And I know you don't have thank, any thank, doubts. Thank, okay. Uh, we're going to shift here from the shortcutbook.com to this little picture over here. Okay. That is the official poster from the Oslo Olympics back in 1952. Okay. Oslo, Norway. See the Norwegian flag. All right. Why do I have that? And why do I have a Norwegian flag over there? And why do I have another Norwegian flag around the corner my, by my Nespresso machine where I have my coffee in the morning? Why? I'm from Argentina. That doesn't make sense. I'll tell you why. I'm training for the Vancouver Olympics. Only top 40 are going to make it. Best I've ever done was top 45. At the end of the training of the qualification period, which is December 31st, the Olympics are in February. December 31st, that's cutoff point. I'm 42 in the world. I missed it. I didn't qualify. So what do you do? You got to quit? No, Vancouver is the fastest track in the world. So Park City is the second fastest track in the world. So all of January, I went to Park City to just take runs to work on speed, right? Keep my prepare, be prepared in case you get the opportunity, right? Because right. you never know. At the, the Calgary Olympics, my first one in 88, the guy that was going to take it all was Norbert Huber. He was an Italian, but they're all Italians from Northern, Northern Italy, right? They all speak German. They're Germans, really. Mm -hmm. And so he was winning everything that year. Two weeks before the Olympics, he gets appendicitis, misses the Olympics. He never made it back. Can oh, you believe that? Oh Bad luck. Bad yeah. luck. I, I, okay, so I'm number 42 in the world. I'm going to prepare myself just in case. I just need one guy to get appendicitis, one guy to break his leg, and the other guy to break his arm, and I'm in. But you got to be prepared if it happens. If it doesn't happen, but at least you got to be prepared. So that's a mindset, right? Yeah. Whatever it takes for as long as it takes. That's a good recipe to success. Yeah. Whatever it takes. For, that doesn't mean a step on people and make enemies and cheat. Long-term thinking, okay? You don't screw up relationships. You just do whatever 
it takes. Okay. And so get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's three weeks before the Olympics. I'm speaking in Minneapolis to all these salespeople. They have this big banner that says, believe and achieve. And they don't get happy Ruben like you guys are getting. Okay. This is the getting Ruben is in the trenches willing to kill somebody to get in the Olympics. <laughs> I mean, they got a little more, you know, yes. and I see that banner, believe and achieve. I thought, man, that's a bunch of bull. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. the, the sales manager, right? I said, look, don't tell me what you believe. All right. What you do shows me what that's you believe. Exactly okay. Right. And you know what? You know what I did up in my, I, I believe it's three old, three weeks to the Olympics. I'm still number 42 in the world, but I believe I'll be in the Olympics. You know what I did up in my hotel room before I came to talk to you guys? I bought four non-refundable tickets to Vancouver on purpose, non-refundable for myself, my wife, our kids. Wow. If you believe something's going to happen, you jump and the net will appear. And they didn't buy it. They didn't buy it. They didn't believe in themselves enough to believe in what I was saying. Right. So I got a little golf clap back that day. I ain't care. I already had the check. <laughs> so I finished my talk, go back to my room, open my laptop. There's a message. It says, you made Norway, this is why I'll have all these Norwegian play. Norway, this, they had three guys in the top 40, but Norway goes to win. Norway's won more gold medals, more medals in the Winter Olympics than any other country, even though they only have 5 million people, right? Oh, yeah. Why? Why? Why did, why? Do they eat something special? Do they <laughs> drink something? No, because they decide. That's right. Just like the Germans, they decided we're going to rule Luge, that's and we're right. going to put our money where our mouth is. We want to build four tracks if that's where it takes. Whatever. It takes for as long as they make the success is a decision. All right. And so they had three guys in the top 40, but they weren't in the top 20. They were only sending you in the top 20. So I'm sorry for you if you're from Norway. So those three guys didn't get to go. That bumped me up to 39. I got to go. At the opening ceremonies, man, I wanted to carry the Norwegian flag, not the old, not the Argentinian <laughs> flag. The Norwegian tell me more than anybody. That's right. And that's why I have them everywhere. They did. Because yeah. I don't want to get a fat head. Because I'm a four-time Olympian, thanks to my Norwegian friends. Yeah, no, but you know what? I love because uh, you're that's inspiring on several different levels. And if you're listening to this, I, I hope that you caught the nuance of what he just said. What he said is that really your action shows what you believe. If you're 42 and you got to be 39, then if you believe that you're going to go, you will live as if you are going. And what you did was you bought tickets. You bought tickets. You went ahead and bought tickets to go because you believed you were going to go. And, and, and at the end of the day, if, if Norway had not had those three that had backed out and you didn't make the cut, you still were living as you did. You were preparing for that opportunity. So when the opportunity came, you could capitalize on it in a major way. And I think that's just that's incredible because if you don't do anything and then you just say, well, I hope I get there and then they cancel, well, then you're not in a good space, even though you made it, you, you really didn't make it. All you did was make it hard on yourself, you know, but the, yeah. Yeah. the how you went about it, I just, you kept preparing, you kept going to the tracks, you kept doing the runs and then you bought tickets because you just said, I'm going, I'm going. And I think no, that's well, yeah. fantastic. No regrets. It goes no back regrets. to no regret. Right. No I mean, I want to be able to, Hey, it's not up to me. Okay. All I can do is all I can do. But it may not be enough that year, okay? But I want to be able to look at that guy in the morning when I'm brushing my teeth because because I'll always be seeing him every morning the rest of my life. And so you got to go for it. No regrets. No regrets. And I had guys, the first one, my feeling was, I got to make it. I got to make it. one. But the feeling changed for all the other ones. The feeling was, you know what? 
uh, I'm going to do whatever it takes, but you never know where the chip's going to lay at the end. But it's, but either way I win. Okay. Either way. Why? Because you got to protect your attitude. All right. Winners protect their attitudes. As soon as your attitude goes south, man, you're toast. All right. So my attitude is, and this is not a, this is, I believe this. Okay. This is not just some weird thing that you say that no, this, I believe what I'm going to tell you right now. You win either way. If I make the fifth one, yep. awesome. If I don't make the fifth one, I will have had to dig so deep inside, right? To even have a possibility, right? Mm -hmm. I'm going to have to dig deeper than ever before because I'm older. Yeah. That I'm going to discover God-given gifts that I didn't even know I had. Mm. And now I've got those for the rest of my life. And it's not about winning the medal or making it, okay? No, it's about the person you become. Mm. It really is, okay? Because you become better and if you become better for the you, future. If you do that, you can't lose. So it's like, why, why think any other way? Because if you go into yeah. it with that attitude and that perspective, that mindset, then either way you win, truly, you truly win. You come away, you come away a better person either way. And so, man. It takes I, the pressure off. I love it. It takes the pressure off, but you still got to do whatever you can. Otherwise, you're going to have that regret, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't, it you doesn't take. Be able, even, you don't make it. At least you got to be able to look at the guy in the mirror. Yeah, right? that's right. That's Otherwise, right. it's true. So you've dropped so many things on everybody today. I'm going to sum it up, and then we're going we're gonna to let you, you know, kind of take us out. You've talked about having – you had amazing self-awareness early on. You knew your strengths and weaknesses. You said, I'm not the fastest guy, but I got tenacity. I got perseverance. And you took that knowledge and you applied it in a way that fit, a goal that fits you. You said, I'm not going to the Summer Olympics. Going to do the Winter Olympics. And that came from a sense of awareness that you had about yourself. So I think that was huge. You talked about levels of commitment. Don't say try. Don't say do your best. Say, I'm going to be there. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do it and have that level of commitment. When you do that and you take action because you're excited, you have that energy, that's passion that people can see. And they're going to jump on board just like the old man said, hey, look, I can see it in your eyes. I think you got this. And so I just love it. You've also said one thing. I'm not going to share it exactly, but you've said one thing in between here and there that we're going to have in the book when it comes out. We got a book coming out. We, we dropped a hint, the title, and back in December, Lyft is going to be hitting soon. And you spoke to one of the four concepts in Lyft. I'm not going to say it, but guys, this is a big hint. He's talking about it. You'll have to get the book later and do it and read it. You talked about success is a silver medal, but people that have success that want that gold medal, they want significance, and that's giving back. And I think that if you have had success, if you're listening to the last 10%, even if you've had in your mind a success that's not, you know, you're not a billionaire, but you're leading a team, that's success. Then, then what do you want to do? You don't want to hold that to yourself. You want to grow and develop the people around you so that they can, they can be better and they can lead others too. So pass that along. And I think that's great. You talked about how to follow, find a leader, follow a leader and be called, be a leader. And you know, why not me? You talked about that and whatever it takes for as long as it takes, how action shows our beliefs, all these things you've wrapped up. You talked about your book, The Shortcut book.com. It's unbelievable, unbelievable stuff today. I hope the listeners have just had a pen and paper and writing this all down because mm -hmm. as far as mindset goes, man, you are living the last 10%, the last 1% of the last 10%. This is awesome cool. conversation. So I want to wrap up by asking you, we always ask our guests who they'd like to hear on the last 10%. So who, who would you like to see or hear on the last 10%? Sure. You asked me earlier about the coaches and I went off on a tangent on you. My first coach in Lake Placid was, was this Ukrainian guy. 
And he was like a youth leader in a church. He makes it fun. The kids will come back next week. And so he made it fun, right? He's teaching the, the juniors. And I was getting hurt so much that he, I don't think I'd have made it without him, right? So he, he had that fun, right? That put me through the first Olympics. Then the International Loose Federation got smart and they decided, hey, we need a development team, bring in more countries. We've got to get serious about this thing. So they brought in this top, top Austrian coach who was a three-time world champion. And I was with him for eight years, but he wasn't fun. He was, I mean, on the, right? But he was the best, but he was, he was, it was a little bit like salesman of the month that gets moved up to sales manager and he doesn't know how to manage. Yeah. Different skills. He didn't didn't really have that skill. Right. Yeah. But I didn't know any better. Then the person, your guest, you want to have next, and there's Jonathan Edwards. And he competed for, in a luge for the United States in uh, Lillehammer. He got fourth place in the doubles. He was really close to getting the medal. And uh, back when U.S. wasn't winning any medal. And uh, Jonathan, what sets him apart is he can get in my head. He's read all the self-development books. And he's, he can help me if I have a, a block that's keeping me from performing at a higher level. He asked me one or two questions that he could pull it out of me and then we can fix it. Right. So he's getting here and success is here as Jonathan Edwards. That's Jonathan. who you want next. Guy. All right. Yeah. That's, that's who we want. So we'll go reach out to Jonathan and see if he, we can get him on the last 10%. Ruben, this has been an absolute pleasure. It's been so fun talking to you. I feel energized i feel like going and like hanging up and getting off the show and just running through the wall right there i am pumped i am ready this is awesome i just love spending time with you thank you for being on the last 10 percent wow thanks thanks i I had a lot of fun i just made a new friend let me know if you're ever in colorado springs okay 50 miles south of denver and we'll uh, get together and then next time i go down south or North Carolina and speak near Charlotte or something. We got to have a little party, you and Warwick and me. We'll do it. We'll do it. Thank you again, Ruben. Take care, man. Thanks for joining us today on The Last 10%. We hope you found today's content engaging and encouraging. Remember to subscribe to the podcast to hear the latest episodes and help us out by rating and reviewing us so others will join our community. We release new episodes every other Tuesday. This podcast can be found globally in any podcasting app, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Amazon. Subscribe today. Plus, visit our website, join our email list, and discover resources and info for your business and team at thinkmovethrive.com. Thanks again for listening to The Last 10%.